Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. Today is March 4th, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton, joined as always by Anne, three grocery shop podcasts in one day, Mazinga, and Jerry Garcia's biggest fan, and the intern. Woo! What do you guys think? Are we turning the corner here? It feels like feels like mask mandates are coming off. Some states are forcing people back to school. New it's York City concert halls are opening a little yeah. bit. Concerts are coming back. I know you're a big fan of that one, and Anne's yeah. a big concert fan for those people, for those listening. I, on the other hand, have probably seen 10 concerts in my whole life. Emma, where do you fall on the concert spectrum? like concerts but I haven't actually been to that many I've gone to a couple up at Bethel Woods because of like living near Woodstock and everything but I mean I'm excited for them to come back I do miss them now that I haven't been able to go to one in a long time for those I miss watching, that more than everything you miss that sure. more than wow really yes God, I, I haven't yes. missed that at all that shows you how different I am but yeah. for those watching Emma's wearing a uh yeah, Grateful Dead t-shirt uh so that, very apropos for the Woodstock heritage there D- do you grow up differently you know having been from there like is there just like a different mentality that that <laughs> takes root when you grow up in Woodstock like are you know well, there's still I, drugs in the water are you like a free willing spirit yeah <laughs> so yeah, I was I wasn't but yes okay and go for it I live outside of Woodstock, like that's, it's like an hour away, but once you drive into the town of Woodstock, I mean, there are like 80 year olds with dreads, white, like white 80 year olds with dreads that go down and drag on the sidewalk. Like it's a different, it's an interesting, they still hold on to what it once was. My mother, and you know this, that my mother-in-law Marge went to Woodstock when she was like, Oh, I could see Marge 16 or 14 Woodstock. years old. I think she was yeah. like 14. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You can see Marge, Marge hitting up Woodstock. Oh Yeah. Yeah, totally. she's a free spirit. She's yeah. totally that's totally her thing. Mother in law, I would, I would be, I'd be right there with her. I'd be right there with her. That you was my would? actually, yeah, that was my favorite part of my uh Kelly Kowal podcast. We were talking about how we missed going to concerts so much, and especially the concerts at the trade shows, like those were the best things. So, uh, hopefully, she and I'll be like you know, rushing the stage for. Shaggy or Robin Thicke or whoever shows up at the next. <laughs> whatever. Doesn't celebrity. even matter. Yeah, it could right. be like the lounge singer from the bar at uh, at Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. It's like Richard Alvey. Marks. Like, yes! <laughs> Rick Astley. What's the Rick Rack guy? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it is. I don't even know. It could be a wax figure. It doesn't even matter at this point. I just want live music to be back so badly. I had no. I had no idea you were like hippy dippy and be all over Woodstock too. That's like oh, I. I my brain is like suddenly not being able to compute all this, you know, but anyway, you know, but Hey, good to know. Good to know. Yep. On another note though, it is a little bit of a sad day. It's a bittersweet day here at Ami talk. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard the news, some of our loyal listeners, but one of our sponsors uh, found one of the founders uh, from our sponsor takeoff, Jose Vicente Agavere, his wife passed away this week. His wife, Lucia, um, we've known her. We had known, we've known both of them for a really long time and our hearts just go out to Jose, the whole family, really the whole takeoff mm-hmm. team, because she was very involved uh, there as well. Um, and so today I'm going to make, we're going to make it. And I talked about this, our mission to make this one of the best damn shows we've ever had. And we are going to um, dedicate this show uh, to Jose, Lucia and their family and everyone at takeoff as we do every week. So with all that said, with all that out of the way, uh, we're going to talk some cool stories this week. We're going to talk some scandals at Nike. We're going to talk the latest Amazon Go news, 
Albertsons shifting to third-party delivery at many of its operations. And we're going to close with a story that we affectionately are calling, as are others, Smiley the Robot, because I think we all need a little smiles right now. But first, we're going to open up with Target. Target made headlines this week because its earnings topped Wall Street's estimates. They had a strong holiday season as well as a strong January, possibly propped up by all the stimulus checks that were out there. And overall, their 2020 sales, Target's 2020 sales grew by more than $15 billion, which was greater than Target's total sales growth for perspective over the past 11 years. Now, with all that said, Shares on Tuesday at Target also closed down almost 7% because Target in their earnings release also hinted at margin pressures for the year and also did not provide sale guidance to Wall Street. So there are a lot of questions on the investor side. I read the thing cover to cover and I could see why it was a very interesting earnings statement to say the least. Now, question for you though, Ann, we are going to start like like I said, this is going to be a great show. We're going to do our damnedest. And we're going to start right off the bat with AM's put you on the spot question. And my personal opinion is that this is the hardest question that has ever been thrown our way. And so, Anna, I'm delightfully giving it to you. I feel like this is just fitting with the week we've had. So let's bring it on. It is. Yeah. After three podcasts yesterday that we filmed back to back to back. But here is the question. And. What is your prediction for Target this year, especially in the back half of the year? What do you project in terms of school, back to school fall, in terms of customer behavior? Will apparel and accessories rebound? And is Target primed to be the winner? And given your thoughts, who else is primed to be a winner? So I have a lot of thoughts around this. Um, Better you than me. This one's tough. A&M, you are just bringing it every week with these questions, let me say. Um, Here's the thing. I think I'm going to preface this by saying we are definitely not out of the woods. And I think that, yes, Target had a great year. Um, Do I think that Target still holds a spot throughout the rest of the year that they'll still do well? Yes, of course, they will consistently be open no matter what happens the rest of the year with the vaccines and things. They're a one-stop shop that makes things convenient. So, and it's affordable. It's, it's great goods at a quality, affordable price. So will they continue to be a strong contender in the space? Without a doubt. Now, The problem for me is that there is still a lot of unknown this year. No matter who it is, the very best economists cannot predict what's going to happen this fall. There are, there are, it's not like this is just a downturn in the economy. This is something that's outside of everybody's control. This is a health related issue that's outside of what, you know, anything that's able to be predicted. So, so you're saying, so you're saying this is, it's too hard to predict. So you're saying answering the question, you're saying it's too hard to predict. What does that mean for target though? If I push you on that front. Okay. So here's the thing that I think it means for target and for the retailers. So we talked about something in a clubhouse that I was in yesterday. That's about around this idea of revenge spending. So like though, you know, in this K shaped recovery, you know, what are the wealthy people going to be revenge spending on, which honestly makes me want to vomit because I think it's so careless about the 85% of the country that's getting stimulus checks and is trying to decide what to do with that money and how to survive and pay rent. People are working in Hawaii right now too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's already been revenge spending, but anyway, So anyway, 
Do I think revenge spending is going to happen at Target, though, this wealthy population? Are they going to be staying, you know, if things open back up, are they going to be putting money into Target? No, I think it's going to be on experiences. It's going to be on all the things that the wealthy people were prohibited from doing. The people that have the money were prohibited from doing. And I don't think that includes Target. So I think that that needs to be part of figuring out this next strategy for them. You don't believe it'll be at places like Target. Okay, interesting. Emma, what, let, Emma, what's your quick take here? And just said a lot there. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, sounds like a really interesting clubhouse conversation, by the way, too, which I'm still trying to figure clubhouse, by the way, on me talk fans. Like to me, it feels like Twitter for extroverts and it feels like Twitter for a very specific part of the population, which is, I think what Ann was alluding to there too. It's going to still experiment with it, but uh, still not sure what to make of that quite yet. But Emma, what, what are you, th- what are you thinking here as you look to the back half of the year? Maybe we just talk retail in general. And then if you've got thoughts on target too, but I think it all depends on if that vaccine get if like more than half of the population gets vaccinated like it is all kind of depending on that whether we'll see people really going out and spending on things in these experiences so for target i mean i think target probably won't do as well as they did this year and next year but they're not slowing down but yeah i think like especially with back to school i think it all depends on if everyone can get vaccinated and actually go back to school in person yeah, interesting. I, I'm almost of the opinion, actually, that I think the, the vaccines, vaccine schedule almost doesn't matter because I feel like we've reached, we've almost reached a new normal. And then I think the other piece that's hanging out there, which Anne, I think is what you're alluding to a little bit too. Once the vaccine does happen, I don't know that the mall-based retailers are any better off. I think that's the thing. I mean, you, we want to say like, oh, then everything's going to be great again. But as we've talked about and shared on social media, there's been a lot of deferrals and rent payments. I think the, what was the number, guys? Like 40 to 60 billions hanging out in rent deferments right now. Mm-hmm. We're not sure those business models are also going to be strong when they come back. And so, you know, who's there that's going to pick all that up regardless? I still think it's Target. And I think what's the important lesson for me here in the pandemic is that the one-stop shop matters. If you look at the earnings report, they do allude to that. I actually thought their CFO, Michael Fidelki, did a great job talking about that. He articulated that very well. But what's still interesting, I think, fundamentally about that for Target and for investors and and Fidelki actually said a statement that I want to pull out because I think it's really interesting. And we have been talking about this on this show for years now. But he said, after a year of record go- growth, I want to start my remarks by expanding on a point that Brian Cornell, the CEO, mentioned earlier, because investors often want to know this. How much of Target's growth is being driven by specific strategies or specific assets? And I got to tell you, I don't even know that the delineation matters. So when NM asks that question... The asset is clearly there, and that's the one-stop shop. And so if the malls continue to struggle, specialty continues to struggle, where else do you buy home furnishings right now, right? Your only options are online or maybe Target. Like, you're not going to Walmart for that. I mean, I ran that business. Like, we were really good at that. There's design. Those are, that's the option. Those are the game in town. So I think it's still going to do well. But I think what people do need to be careful about, though, is not to oversubscribe the success or upscribe, whatever the word is, the success that Target's been having fully to the strategies. Like, let's really piece that out. How much of it has been shared because other places have been closed? Because there are no options to get anything else. Those companies have also been going out of business. What I didn't like about the earnings report was it it really played up the things like the Disney partnership and the Apple partnership and the Ulta partnership that hasn't even started. And when you look at the store counts of all that stuff, that doesn't mean jack squat. And so I think it's something to watch, but I don't think you're going to see something slow down. And so the better question that really everyone needs to be asking is, 
what are the things that have really just enabled them to just wreak all the juice out of the lemon in regard to what's been going on? And that's the omni-channel capabilities. And I can tell you from having lived there and worked there, it's taken 10 years to do that, right? It was about refortifying the e-commerce foundation, doing everything you needed from an OMS and POS upgrade perspective. And it just so happened that all of that work was perfectly timed to the pandemic. So at some point that could come to an end, but really when you look at reality strategically, I still think there's pretty strong cash flow that's going to come from this company because of who they are as a one-stop shop. And any final words there? I, th- I think that was a great summary. I mean, this has the work that Target has been putting in has been going on for a very, very long time. And I think that that's important to call out here too. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to see, but I don't know that it matters. Like, I love that Fidelki brought that up because we brought up that same thing. Like, yeah, you're sitting at the you're sitting at the blackjack table when the dealer busts. But the reason you capitalize it is because you're sitting at the table when the blackjack dealer busts. And that's an important thing to consider. Not everyone is, right? Right. All right. This next story is like my favorite story. And we're gonna have we if we don't have a, if we don't have an S ton of fun with this one, the three of us, we 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 need to do something better because this is great. So many S tons, uh, not enough show. Um, let's go into our next story. You guys, I feel like this is like the retail drama. We are in soap opera land of retail for these last couple of weeks, and I am here for it. Yeah, totally. Okay. Nike's VP and North American business general manager, Anne Hebert, stepped down this week after a Bloomberg report revealed that her son who we obviously all know as West Coast Joe, used her credit card to purchase $132,000 worth of shoes for his resale site, West Coast Streetwear. Now, while West Coast Joe, as no one I'm sure calls him in real life, claims he has never received any insider information from his mother, who is a VP at Nike, Nike has said that it was actually Hebert who decided to make the decision to step down effective immediately. Um, And she plans to, uh, or Nike plans to announce a new head for the geography shortly. Now, if this wasn't a weekend update headline, uh, I don't know what is. Emma, what are you making of all of this madness? This is the kind of drama I needed in my life. Like the sneaker resale (laughs) scandal of the year, maybe even the century. I don't know. But what I think is funny about it was I wasn't surprised that this kid had so much money to spend or that he was able to acquire so many shoes. I was like, he probably just has rich parents, but charging $250 a month for a discord group membership where he gives away information about what sneakers were going to be available and when. And then he mentions that you got to have plugs to succeed in this industry. I was like, you have a deep insider plug. Like, you can't even lie about that. You obviously have someone on the inside giving you information. And this kid is just getting wrecked on social media. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, the fact that this kid got interviewed by Bloomberg, had the audacity to get interviewed by Bloomberg and talk about all this stuff is is another thing. But hey, where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, the funny thing about this is like a week and a was it two weeks ago, I was putting the post on social media about how I tried to get a pair of kicks, which I've never tried to do before. I bought them in 30 seconds after they were released with Apple Pay and I didn't get them. And I'm like, how the hell does that happen? Like you can't do that transaction any faster. But now I know like this, this pisses me off to no end for so many degrees. Like I don't understand how Nike's letting this happen. Like if, if Chachi with his mom's credit card, right, 
can get this many kicks, you know that this is happening like a thousand times over. And that so poor schmucks like me have no shot of getting shoes. And I don't know that I feel like, I don't feel like that's a good thing. I really don't. I know a lot of people on social media are saying that's, that's exactly what they're intending to do, but I would call bullshit on that. Like, why should somebody be able to purchase $130,000 worth of product when you have that much demand on one credit card? Like, here's an idea. Limit the number of purchases to the single credit card. Like, how hard is that, Nike? Like, well, why are you doing that is my other question. Is that what you're going to say, Ann? I was just going to say, like, if there's this much demand for your product, why aren't you moving forward with trying to own the resale or the drop process? Like, why aren't you taking control of this from an end-to-end function? Like, you, there's no reason, you know, I don't know. West Coast Joe, man, you're, uh, well, you're out of here. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then how the kid had access to that, I don't even want to start with. But, like, you know, it makes me wonder how all these things are going on in terms of, you know, something. But, all right, story number three. All right. So, story number three is a double headline. First, we have Amazon opening an Amazon Go location in the UK with 30 more in the works. And then the Hudson store using Amazon's Just Walk Out technology has officially opened in the Dallas Love Field Airport. So I've said this before and I'll say it again. If anyone's going to dominate checkout free technology, I think it should be Amazon. You think and it should getting... be? Not that it yeah. will be, but it should be. Okay, cool. Well, I, wow. it, I was, it was implied that it will be, but it also <laughs> should be. Okay. So I'm going to go pretty meta before I pass this over. But just imagine if there were Amazon lo- Go locations in big cities all around the world. And if you're traveling somewhere, you're pressed on time and you just don't have that kind of time to figure out how to tell the Italian barista who speaks no English that you want non-dairy milk in your latte. Like you just walk into an Amazon Go store, pick it out, leave your phone deals with the money conversion and you're on your way. And even for people traveling into the U.S. into the airports that don't speak English, it just solves so many unnecessary problems. Emma, I got to tell you, I think it's one of the best points you've ever made. Like I, 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 attributed that comment to you on social media yesterday was something somebody said. I think it's like one of the best things you've ever said. Like that is an absolute friction point when you were a traveler. Like I can think of going into all those little bodegas, like when I traveled to Spain or, you know, something like that, France, and you go into those little bodegas and you just want to buy a bottle of water. And it's like, it's not a super comfortable experience, but yeah. You just hand over all the cash in your hands, just like, yeah, "Ah, take it, whatever. Yeah. I have no idea. You can't talk to anybody. Um, yeah, it's a I'll give one, you you know. $40 for this Bomba. I don't care, airport <laughs> tech person. I just want the Bomba. Here you go. Take yeah. all my money. I'm getting on a plane anyway. So here. And you're right. It's all change. I never even thought about that. Like, it's like huge change in your pockets with like the two, you know, two pound euro or whatever it is. But like, that's a huge friction point. Um, I think it's a great, great illustration of why this thing could be really successful. The other thing that's cool to me is like, they're now in Europe. Like, as of mm-hmm. this week, they're now in Europe. Like, that's... That's huge. Like you now have scaled something in the US in airports with the tech. Now you're in Europe. The next logical thing is going to be, can you do a different language? And once they can do a different language, like, boom, this thing's it's over. This thing's gangbusters. I don't know what else you're waiting for at that point. And you're right. I'm just, I'm super inclined to use it. And what do you think? Yeah. I mean, for me, the things that I'll be watching closely is all of the other players in the checkout free space and 
whether or not this impacts or pit help or they're pivoting their businesses, because obviously the end goal for all of them is in, is either pilot in, you know, Japan or Europe or the U S and then to go and make this move. And like Emma said, no surprise that Amazon's the one doing it first, but I'm, I'm just going to be watching closely how things kind of evolve. And if they're pushing for expansion first versus, you know, building things out in their own, you know, set up pilots that they have going on throughout the world. The other question that I have though, too, is Europe is fine. You know, we'll see how, how they expand there. They're planning like 30 more locations um, in, in the UK. It sounded like um, very shortly, but then I'm wondering what happens um, throughout the rest of, you know, Asia and uh, specifically, you know, if Amazon goes into like China. I mean, you already have a lot of people who are using this technology there um, or who are much more experienced with this than I think we are in the US or the or in Europe. And so um, I'm curious to see just how far the the go expansion goes. Yeah, how international it goes. How yeah, how, yeah, that, that's actually a point. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, China will be a different beast just because I think you know Amazon has a different status there. I think India is right. thing, but in uh, lots of countries too. But like, there's many places where it's still you know very strong. But again, it's like you know what use cases are you doing to to Emma's point. I think it's really. I mean, I, we'd love this concept. I mean, New York when we'd go, we'd always seek this thing out because it's super easy. Like it totally makes sense. Um, then for Amazon and any other checkout free company, we've got a, you know what and give or take 7,000 square feet of space that we could do use to do anything like this on the checkout free front of Minneapolis. When is this idea coming here? We're all right. in. So just give us a call. But anyway, all right. I think this next story is, I think it's, I think this next story is really big and really fascinating. Um, especially when you start thinking about how things are going to play out in the grocery space, but Am, uh, Albertsons, not Amazon, but Albertsons this week uh, dropped much of its in-house grocery delivery amidst what the report was saying was signs that most customers don't use it, which I think that I'm a little skeptical of that attribution, but I think this is, they've been rumoring, they've been rumored to be doing this for a while. February 27th came, that was the date where by where they decided to make the shift, but essentially they discontinued their own grocery delivery fleet in many locations uh, and uh, across some of their Albertsons and Safeway stores. It's not necessarily across all markets. For example, some stores in Arizona may have not been affected. We're still learning all the details there. But this story is, I think this story is really important. So you've got a very successful grocer uh, amid the pandemic that's been doing, as we've talked about on the show, many innovative things on the fronts of micro fulfillment. They're the ones doing, remember, the, the lockers with Cleveron, very interesting idea. And they're now saying, look, we don't want to do the delivery ourselves, right? And there's union factors here, I think, too, that are part of this, but we don't want to do the delivery ourselves. We actually want to parse that out to third parties. And I've had people on social media and call me personally who have said, Chris, there's no way third-party delivery can work long-term because grocers can't make the economics of it work. But I think this is showing that people are thinking about this in a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of different angles here. But before we go into that, Ann, what do you what do you think here? Because you had some cool thoughts on this yesterday. I think this makes a ton of sense. And um, after talking to Chris Rupp uh, for a women's retail collective podcast, um, she's the chief digital officer at Albertsons and just hearing like how much exploration they are putting into solving this, this kind of issue or, or 
uh, preemptively kind of coming up with ideas and concepts to to try to address what will best serve their customers. That's why I think we're, those kiosks at the Jewel Osco in Chicago make so much sense. And if you really have it streamlined internally to service customers um, in store from a curbside pickup perspective, you're making that super convenient and easy. And even if this is just limited to the one market in Arizona, I I don't think it makes sense to have people just waiting to be paying people on staff to sit there waiting for deliveries to go out. It seems like you may be able to, and I'm not, you know, very well versed in the contract negotiations between third-party delivery and logistics providers and and Albertsons, but I think that you may have some leverage there to just keep, you know, using them on a case-by-case basis as you need them instead of, you know, maintaining a staff of people that's waiting for this to happen. So, um, so yeah, I think let's see where what kind of success they have and how they continue to roll out this kiosk program. Chris said there's lots of exciting news that we'll be hearing in the next couple of months that she kind of teased in that interview. So, um, so I think there's more to the story here than, than what's happening in this particular location. Emma question you off what Anne said, like how much do you care who delivers your product? Not at all. You zero. And how about you? Do you care at all who actually makes the delivery? No, no, not anymore. I don't either. And I think that's the part that's lost. I don't at all. Like, and I think that's the part that's lost in this conversation. And I thought you articulated that really well too, because what you're saying is like, there's so many variables here and I'm so, I am a little bit tired of it's either this or that, right? Mm-hmm. The reporting it's a cart's never going to work. It's not going to work. Or, you know, this, you can't use microfilament this way, or you have to do it this way or whatever. Like it's, it's not an either or situation. And I think what it shows here though, what I think is so interesting about this is we, I think everyone at this point does agree, like micro fulfillment to some degree is going to be the answer. You have to get more efficient in picking and packing. Mm-hmm. You can't use third parties to do that long term. I think Instacart even sees the writing on the road, right? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Writing on the wall. Like we've talked about their different programs are standing up as a result of that. So you take that as a given, then the question becomes, well, what do you need a third party for? And the argument has always been that third party delivery and picking is too expensive. But if you just look at delivery for certain use cases, can you still use it? And also, by the way, if none of us give a crap about who delivers it, why wouldn't I make that a competitive situation and force everyone to compete on it and force everyone to compete locally on how it's done? There's a lot of benefits for the retailer with that type of mindset, as long as you can get to a certain level of proficiency versus like making everyone say, okay, we just have to go deliver all this ourselves. Yeah. The, and the other point that I just throw in there too, is that this concept of, of the gig economy, like having gig drivers, isn't going to, can't make sense financially, I think could also be a little short-sighted too. Like look at like what RoboMart is doing. I mean, not that we have autonomous vehicles like running through the streets by any means yet, but I think that as the squeeze comes on the retailers to pay for these kinds of services, we're going to start to see more innovation in how the product is getting to people's houses too, like that that last mile part of it and whether or not that needs to be a person driving that. And then how do costs kind of start to come down um, as a result of that? I just, I think it, it's very limiting as you're saying, like it's not leaving room for the innovation that will come as a result. Well, I, and I think that's a fascinating question on this too. Is like I think the labor supply of gig workers is still going to be really cheap. I really do because it gives a ton of flexibility. And you know, you talked about the the revenge spending. There's still a 
I'm going to use it again, shit ton of people who aren't revenge spending. And that continues to be an issue in this country in terms of that divide between rich and poor too. And so as people are needing to make work and figure out how to make work, it's easy for them to plug in, to, to get this kind of thing going and to make some extra money. So I'm not, I'm not sure that dries up. And I think it can stay really competitive depending on, on where you are. But again, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all answer. And there's a lot of nuances to this, depending on how you design the operation across all the dynamics that are at play here. And I think to say we know the answers is, I think, foolhardy because we, we don't even, we're not even out of the pandemic yet to know what the new level is that everyone's going to expect, right? 100%. And delivery might not even be that, I mean, Ann, you said this yesterday too, delivery might not even be as important as it currently is either. And so right. then, you know, are you using this at different times selectively? It's important to think about. All right, Ann, this next story, let's put some smileys on our faces. Should we sugarcoat the rest of this podcast? Wrap it up. Yeah, that was smart. I like that. Um, Okay. Well done. I can tell I can tell the Omnitech listeners one thing. If Chris and I were in person at grocery shop next week, this next thing that I'm going to talk about is an exhibit that you would find Chris and I very closely <laughs> posted up next to in the expo hall. I have never seen anyone put away a bag of Skittles like I have the one and only Chris Walton. So I know he's loving this story. So Mars Wrigley announced Smiley the Robot. Lovely, lovely name. Last week lovely they name. they uh they released the robot that they created to bring the checkout aisle candy to shoppers as they're shopping, as they're seeing trends in self-checkout increase and shopping patterns change. So Smiley is uh in one store right now in uh, Monroe, New York, ShopRite store. And Emma, are you close to that? Well, you're not in Minnesota. Like an Minnesota. hour, but I will okay. definitely go there. Check it out. Okay. Yes. So Smiley the robot, like an ice cream truck, makes its presence known in the aisles. It plays a little catchy tune. Parents are going to just, you know, be so excited about this thing. Yeah, right. I can't think of anything I love more than an ice cream truck. Uh, anyway, they partnered with uh, Savvy OK Robotics and will also continue to pilot this with more Wakefront stores going forward. So the robot comes up to you. It's got its little like pop open container. You can pick anything that you want out of there. Your Skittles, your uh, Mars, whatever you want, gum, snacks, you name it. Uh, what are you guys thinking of this wonderful smiley robot? Chris, Emma, I know you're excited. Do you well, want to start? I, I can't. I don't want to go first because I'm, I'm okay. like super geeked up about this. But like Emma, you you you'll go try to visit. That's cool. What do you think though? I will. How do you not take candy from? a thing called smiley the robot like i feel like it's just a great way to like pressure people into just taking candy it's like a little kid coming up and selling you girl scout cookies like you can't just say no so really so so you like this i didn't think you were gonna yeah. like this okay i think it should be smiley with an ee by the way and spree should be the sponsor but i don't know if marge Wrigley owns spree so i can't really say that but and you like it Oh yeah. I think this is so, I, I loved this story. I was like, yeah, you picked this, this, this is amazing. And it, I think the reason that I like it is it just shows that, um, there's a, well, there's an internal group at Mars Wrigley that is coming up with these ideas called Launchpad, And they're, they're really focused on how do we save ourselves? Like as people are moving to more delivery, they're, you know, doing curbside pickup, they're doing self-checkout. I think it was like 78% yeah. increase in self-checkout in the last year. They, they've got to figure out a way to reinvent themselves and to insert themselves in the buying process. And I just, I thought this was fun 
they're going to kill it. I mean, Emma's right. There's no way that you're going to be a mom shopping with a kid and this little robot comes up and pops open its top and there's any kind of candy you want. Like, yes, you're it's the impulse buy is coming to me. And now the, in order to get my kids to be quiet and let me finish my grocery shopping, I'm going to have to do this. So yeah, super smart. I love yeah. it. Keep it going. Mars Wrigley. Yeah. And the robot thing's I'm a little like, bit, I'm I mean, it, for it. You know, it's a little goofy, and I, but I, I don't think the robot's the point of the story. I hope people look past that. I mean, I think the point of the story here, um, and actually I do, I'm doing a, there are, we recorded a webinar for the National Confectioners Association meeting next week where I sat down with the people in charge of candy buying for Meyer and, um, and Dollar General. And we, he, the guy from Meyer had some really interesting points. It's like, he said, what is the evolution of the pay points in store, right? And you just talked about that, right? Like the pay points have moved. You've got self-checkout designs which come in all shapes and sizes. You've got the curbside pickup element. People are paying in different places now. And so something has to be done for these businesses to, to think about, especially these businesses that are, you know, confections based to play up in the same way that they have in the past and people, and it's not that people don't want it because like the behavior was there. Like when you were at the pay point previously, you wanted that last minute thing. You wanted mm-hmm. to grab that, right? That was an important aspect that psychological feeling hasn't gone away. We just, as retailers, haven't figured out how to make that happen yet. So I applaud like hell this experimentation. We've talked about vending machines uh, with the curbside lockers. We've talked about all that kind of stuff. What can you do in the parking lot? I think sampling takes on new dimensions. This, I think this is fr- I think freaking great. That's freaking great. Like, yeah, the robot that just, imagine that a ho- like the hotels have tried s- similar type things, but like, you know, yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I didn't say Vegas. Like if you had that running around the tables, oh my God, I, I'd have like Starburst and Skittles out the wazoo by the end of that blackjack hand. You would, we would, we would have a diabetic coma situation happening. We uh, do not need any more emergency room visits in Las Vegas, Chris Walton. Let's, uh, let's keep your candy consumption at the minimum. That's true. For those listening, you, you might want to know this. So at the end of every show, and I don't think Emma, even, Emma, Emma, the intern even knows this, at the end of every, every trade show we go to on our return flight, Ann and I buy a pack of Twizzlers. And we devour the whole pack by the time we get home. That's like our tradition that we do. And I, I don't know why, but it, let's it, just say if you need some candy testers, Chris and I are well, well uh, ahead of the game and we're interested in being a part of that focus group. For sure. Huge fan of the chocolate Twizzler too, which are also really hard oh. to find. And doesn't like this, but I love those. All right. That wraps us up. Hopefully you enjoyed the show today. It was a ton of fun. Happy birthday today to Catherine O'Hara of Schitt's Creek fame. Steven, Steven also said, Steven Weber of Wings. Emma, the intern, are you familiar with the show Wings? No. Such a travesty. God. Crystal Bernard, <laughs> Tim Daly. Oh my gosh. And posthumously, posthumously, I should say. God, I can't talk. To Thayer David, who Rocky fans will know as Jurgens. Yes, that one is just for you, those that love my crazy 80, well, that's a 70s reference, movie reference. But if remember, and remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, I am going to make it through this. Make it on me talk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you and all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in and please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, as always, be careful out there. The Omnitalk Fast Five podcast is brought to you by the AM Consumer and Retail Group. 
AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And of course, Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com.